Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Keep It Real with Rachel Sinclair. We are on episode five, which makes me feel like this is legit, this whole podcast thing. So thank you all for your support. Thank you for listening, for sharing, for rating. Everything means so much. Today we have a special fun February episode for Valentine's Day. I had the privilege of interviewing the Christian fiction romance writer Rachel Hauk. Rachel is a New York Times bestselling author. Y'all, that is impressive. A New York Times bestselling author. That's hard to do. Some of her most popular books include The Wedding Dress, The Love Letter, Love Starts with L, Dining with Joy. She co-wrote the Songbird series with Sarah Evans, the country singer. And she's just amazing. I have been a lifelong fan. Well, not lifelong. It's not like I was <laughs> reading this when I was two or anything. But I've been a fan for a long time. <laughs> anyway, this is a packed episode. We talk about writing, about creating characters and plot lines, about writing from a historical perspective and imagining where we would go back in history if we could pick a time period to go back. Rachel also ends up telling us her own love story about how she met her husband, which was so sweet and special. I mean, it was great. It was just great. So I cannot wait for you to hear it. So here we go. Hey, Rachel. Hey, Rachel. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I am doing really well. Thanks. Good. Is this still a good time for you to talk? Oh, yeah. Wonderful. Well, let me step back a little bit and tell you about why I'm so excited to have you on the show. So the podcast is called Keep It Real with Rachel Sinclair, and I basically want to have real conversations with interesting people and just kind of expose the audience to different things that relate to faith. So I've had a singer songwriter. I had my mom, you know, not a famous person, but um, still very interesting and fun. So kind of varies, but I I wanted you specifically for the February episode for Valentine's. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, of course. Well, I have been a fan for a long time. And one of the things that I love that I think other people will love too is that your books truly reach, I mean, almost any woman anywhere in any stage of life. And I think that shows through the themes in, you know, different, just different settings of history and different careers. You know, no book is alike. But I remember in high school, my best friend and I went through that series you did with Sarah Evans. And yes, yes, we just ate that up. I remember we were on a beach trip and we just like blew through. We loved them. But then my mom also loves your work. She's so excited that, you know, I'm talking to you. And so it's just fun to see how. Oh, I will. That will mean the world to her. (laughs) I certainly will. So anyway, I think I think it's super exciting and I'm excited to get to chat with you. I'm, I'm really excited, too, to hear that because. It seems at times I don't hear from your age group. This is super exciting to me. Like, I did youth ministry for 20 years. Like, I love teenagers. I love 20-somethings. I totally relate to you guys. I'm 58, but I also didn't have children, so I you feel like you're kind of stuck on a not-time clock. Like, I don't look at myself and think, I got grandkids, you know, although I'm old enough to have grandkids. Right. And so so I still try to feel like I want to be relevant to your age group while also trying to create something that us older guys still like to read, which is why most of my characters are around 30, because I feel like that just kind of 
it gives something the younger readers to think looking forward to, but us older ones can remember or there's some, can I relate? Cause there's some things that are just so universal to women, no matter how old we are um, or how young we are, there's just some universal things. And so it's good to hear that uh, you're enjoying him as well as your mom. It just means a lot to me. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I mean, really, we, I think we might've even been in junior high when we were reading through um, the other series, but it's just, um, I think there's something for everyone. So, and now your husband um, is a pastor, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. So you, yes, y'all are involved in, in church. That's awesome. So do you, are you involved in ministry now outside of writing? Um, well, at church, obviously, I'm the worship leader at church, so I'm over the worship. I'm over the worship team. That's great. And then that's about all I have time for. So <laughs> I feel like um, God's called me to the three W's. I'm a wife, I'm a writer, and I'm a worshiper. Oh, so I love that, the three W's. <laughs> the three W's. And so if it doesn't fall under that purview, I'll, I'll evaluate it. So... Um, I don't go to women's ministry. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody yeah. else does that. I don't do it. I don't go. Yeah. I go if I can. So if there's a Saturday luncheon or something like that, I would go. Um, sure. But, um, you know, someone's call, someone's doing that work. She's got women who are involved in going. So I don't do it. Um, things mm-hmm. like that, like um, just whatever. But my primary is if I'm not writing and of course, my family, my extended family, my siblings, my mom, all that I, I'm involved with. But um, otherwise, I try to make time for my own self, like my personal time with the Lord, my personal time, just downtime. I, I call it white space. Because mm. as a writer, I feel like I need a lot of white space. Yes. <laughs> and then, um, or, you know, I'm at a prayer meeting or I'm at a worship leading worship at our church or another event. So that's pretty much what I stick to. Yeah. Tell me about your writing, I guess, style and organizational habit. Do you write for a certain amount of time a day or, I mean, I'm sure you have seasons, but, um, I'm, I'm a writer as well. Um, a small, small writer, (laughs) young writer, but, um, well, thank you. But, um, but I, I know it, I mean, I'm a disciplined person anyway, but man, if you do not carve out the time, it does not happen. So I would just love oh, to hear some, <laughs> some wisdom and, um, insight for, you know, how, what is your method? Well, you're absolutely right. You have to carve out time. And when I was in the corporate world, um, at one point I was writing, I actually had my first contract. Uh, I was co-writing with this author named Lynn Coleman, but but she just was the door opener. I had to do the writing to kind of prove my chops. Mm-hmm. So I was had a novel due. We were doing youth ministry. I was on the worship team. We were doing a Friday night kind of downtown, all a youth kind of ministry. I mean, I was outraged at like four or five nights a week. Oh. And I'm like, oh, I got to write this book. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I was, oh. man, I was, I was just on the American Christian Fiction Writers Board, and the, the second annual conference ever was under my leadership, and I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> None. And it was like working with a black hole, because my team was out there somewhere. We were talking on email, but I had, now that I've been involved in conference for 18 years, I'm like, I, if Allison Wilson, who lives here in my town, and who had free time, hadn't come alongside me, and really done all the work, 
uh, it would have been a disaster. It, we had a couple of disasters as it was. But anyway, yeah. God was good. God was good. Still one of my favorite conferences. But mm. for me, it's so critical to carve out your writing time. So I would carve out, I would look ahead and go, what can I write? But now that I'm at it full time, I know um, about how long I have to have to plan. So I like to have about a month to plan the book. Mm. Yeah. And, and think about it and, you know, do the story equation and get through all of kind of my backstory and building all of my my motivation and my, his, my character history. And then I need, depending on what I actually have, I, I need at least three months to write. So so if I have four months, I can plan and write. Um, so I, I write every weekday. And if I have to, towards the end, I'll write on Saturday. I pretty much try to take Sunday off. It's kind of a work day for me anyway, because I'm at church about five hours. But at least when I come home, I don't feel guilty if I want to take a nap. Sure. (laughs) Right? So do you write in the morning or at night? I write. I have tried to be like, oh, I'll get up in the morning and write. (laughs) Never happens. So I write. My goal is to be butt in chair by by noon, one o'clock at the latest, two if you're just really goofing off. <laughs> so I'm like, you've got to be, I have to be writing between two and three. But really, if I can, I, I should start before that. I try. So noon is kind of like that goal that I should for, depending on what's happening in the day. Yeah. And then, and then with writing, as you know, just comes a lot of procrastination. Oh, let me go through my email. Let me check my social media side. Oh, yeah. You know, a little research here and there. Right. Yeah, let me talk to Susie Warren. Um, I don't know. I opened the story. I worked at Scrivener initially. I kind of look at that, and I wonder, what am I writing about? What am I doing? I kind of stare at I'll use a big, those big post-it notes that you stick on walls. Those will be hanging around the office. I'll stare at those and go, what was I doing? And then um, – and then I just kind of start. I kind of have an idea. Maybe I've left notes from the night before. And then I aim for, so Scrivener gives me a count. So I set my first draft date, and it tells me how much I have to write to get to that. And usually I overwrite because maybe I'm going to miss a day, like conference sometimes is in, interrupts my schedule or travel or, or maybe vacation. So I write to that. I write a first draft, about 75,000 words. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then I I start over at that point and I may pull 50% of the book forward and then I'm rewriting scenes. And then at that point, so that takes me about six weeks. And then the last six weeks is where I'm pulling it all together and trying to get an ending. Um, Ideally I would like to have, usually that's I've written it at that point, like three times. Um, Ideally I would like to have another pass. Um, But I turn them in with lots for my editor to imagine. <laughs> <laughs> right. Which, when I started out, I wouldn't, the flip time novels just kept getting bigger and bigger. So I'm writing about 100,000 word novels in, in, you know, basically three months. Wow. That's just a lot to write in three months to have it polished. So, you know, so another writer friend of mine, she writes about 80 to 85,000 word romances. So it's pretty much just those two points of view, hero and heroine. And Man. she spends five to six months writing them. So that kind of tells you. So she had, by the time she's wow. turned it in, she's gone through six times 
So, but I, at the end of the day, I go through probably six times as well. I just have an editorial letter in the middle. Sure, sure. And at some point I I would think you would want to get that editor's voice in if there, if there's something that needs to be changed. So you you know what I mean? You have that going forward. (laughs) I have absolutely like, I don't want to get it up. And I've actually said that this is going to be rough because I don't want it all buttoned down because I want you to be able to tell me what you see out of what I'm doing. I'm giving you kind of like the story, but this is what I'm trying to do. So I appreciate what you said too, about them all being different. Cause I try to be like, here's my voice, which is what the reader really, at the end of the day, that's what the reader likes about an author, their voice Mm -hmm. and the kind of stories they tell. But at the same time, I don't want to tell you the same story every time in the same way. So I like to mix it up a little bit if I can. And for my own amusement, really, so sometimes I throw things in just to go, I like this. I wonder if it works. Sure. And I've pulled, in the love letter, I had two other women, female characters, Barbara and Anna, and I pulled both of them at oh, the line taking edit, out a character. At, yeah, at the line edit stage. I, I was, no, actually was on the rewrite stage. I called my the editor and I said, I think these characters need to go because when I got to the end, to try to make it all tie together with those characters, Rachel, it was so bumpy. Mm. And I said, they don't work. They actually complicate the end. I don't even want to read can you, the end. Can you tell us, like, what they were? I've read the love letter, and, you know, I don't, oh, yeah. other people may have, too. I'm just curious. <laughs> yeah. So I had a character, Barbara, in, in 1890s, and she was, uh, let's see, not married. She was an older woman, like in her 20s. So she was not married. And um, she wanted to be married, but they were very wealthy. So it was a little bit of a Gilded Age, a little bit like Birdie from the writing desk. And somebody shows up at her house and says, um, oh, we were renovating one of your properties and we found this box. And the letter, part of the letter that Hamilton wrote was in the box. And then Anna was a contemporary character, the same as... um, Chloe, so she lived in the she, but she lived in my fake town of Hartsbend, Tennessee, outside of Nashville. Okay, she was about a seventy-four-year-old black woman who all her life had a crush on one of her classmates. He was a white male, and so they could, of course, couldn't get together in the sixties in the South. And so part of that story was how she reached out to him and invited him to coffee at the diner and at Ellis, and so. It was watching them fall in love. Absolutely loved that story. Absolutely oh. loved Barbara's story. She fell in love with the widower. And um, so, but Anna also had part of the letter. And it was kind of designed that the parts of the letter that Barbara and Anna had would um, excite their hearts to believe for love. Okay. But when I got to the end, I couldn't resolve in a clever way, for lack of a better word how the letter got separated and why they each had two mm. of them and how how does Chloe then end up with the letter? It, it was just so roundabout and it actually had it all kind of start through Kitsch. So Kitsch would, would be like a great-great-great-grandfather of Anna and he had part of the letter. But how did Barbara then get part of the letter? Or did Barbara have the whole letter and she left it to... Let's see, Anna's grandmother who worked for her when Barbara moved from New York down to Tennessee. What? (laughs) (laughs) 
That is so insightful and interesting. I'm so glad you shared that. Do yeah, you think yeah. Do you think you would use them again in a different story? I would love to. I, I don't know how I would do it. So, but if I wrote like another series set in Hartsman, I would totally bring in Anna. Yeah, I, I would. I would definitely because I love um, I love doing multicultural characters, mm-hmm. um, and I love the idea that. Um, a white older gentleman would fall in love with an older black woman. I just, I love that because I feel like the heart knows no color. I mean, we're divinely made by God. Our race is divine. All of that is so sacred by God given to us as a gift. So you would never want to say, Oh, your race doesn't matter. It does matter. But when love enters, that just transcends everything. So, yeah. Oh, I would that's love to beautiful. write Anna's character. Absolutely. Oh, well, maybe maybe we will. Maybe we'll get to meet her at some point. Maybe we'll get to meet her, yeah. For well, sure. <laughs> and since you bring that up, for the listeners who don't know, um, you have the style, and there's probably an official word for it that I don't know, but especially your more recent books, where you bounce back and forth so well and seamlessly between these two different storylines that are somehow connected, like the love letter you've got, this Revolutionary War setting, and then a modern setting in L.A. Well, I guess they film in the Carolinas. But anyway, you know, they're making a movie. It's about production. And I personally just love this because I I know this is the style, but I just get so sucked in every time I almost forget about the other half, you know? And so I'm like so invested in Chloe and Jesse. And then it's like, oh my gosh, I forgot about Esther. I forgot about Hamilton there. There's two. There they are, yeah. Right. And I and it's like I don't want to leave the chapter with Chloe. I'm like, I want to find out. But then it's like I gotta get, you know, I gotta get back to the Revolutionary War. So I just I love that. It it just works so well and it's so different. How did you decide to kind of step into that style that you've really just done so well? Thank you so much. It's called split time, by the way. Split time. Or, there we go. Dual time. And, and some people started calling it time slip. And I'm oh. like, nope, that sounds like time travel. It's not time slip. It's not a single character moving through time. Right. So it's it's basically splitting the time. So how I started was I read a Susan Meisner book called The Sacred Marcy, which I recommend to everybody. And it was, it was the first split time I'd ever read. And it was set in the Salem Witch Trials. And then a modern story, a, a girl in California, and she was transcribing these letters written by these young women who were on trial for being witches. Ooh. And it was so interesting. What's the and name of that again? It's called The Shape of Mercy. Okay, The Shape of Mercy. What I loved was learning the history and then seeing how it impacted the current generation and that's the challenge with these books and i hope it's one that i've come up to the mark on a lot of times with split time one story so the historical story usually can so overpower the contemporary story the contemporary story can actually feel like like a float that that the story is resting on like it's the thing that's carrying the story through, but we don't really care about the contemporary mm-hmm. characters. We just, 
and, and that can happen if you're talking about real life historical happenings. So what I do is I just set mine at a time in history, and I, while I pull in historical fact and historical uh, lifestyle and all of that, I never deal directly with a historical event. So I'm just setting it in the past. And so I'm hoping that helps me balance the power of each story. Um, you know, it's up to the reader to decide which they like best. And sometimes they love them the same. Sometimes they like one or the other. But um, I just loved, my initial thing was, if you and I could actually time travel, oh. and we could go back and talk to our grandparents or our great-grandparents and find out why they made certain decisions mm-hmm. and realizing that you and I are where we are today because of decisions that they made. Mm. And and how, you know, their ceiling is our floor kind of thing. And so I wanted to, in a way, to take trouble back and look at the true history of my current temporary character to go, what happened in your familial past that brought you to this place? How can it help you? How can it give you wisdom? How can you heal it? Oh, I that just gets me excited right now. It just, man, yeah. opens your imagination uh, when you think of that. <laughs> oh, it does. It certainly does. If if you could go back in any time period in history, any place, where would you want to go? Wow. Well, you know, not to be cliche, but I definitely would want to go back to Jerusalem in Jesus's day. Mm, that's um, not. That's not cliche. That that certainly that, counts. You know, I would. I yeah. I hope it wouldn't be, but I would definitely want to be there and see it for myself, even though I know my heart sees it now, but I wonder what it would be like to actually be there. I think I would like to, um, I would like to go back and talk to my grandparents, maybe meet my great grandparents. If I could, um, I would love to be boots on the ground during the forming of our country. I think that would be interesting as well. Yeah, um, and that's that's why I picked some of those settings. I'll, I'll tell you, that I really picked the Revolutionary War because I loved Poldark. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so Poldark, and I, and I was like, why don't I do something set in the 1780s? <laughs> oh yes, that's funny. Well, I think you know I mentioned my mom earlier. She loves Poldark. I mean, and. And I, I, I honestly probably should give it another try. <laughs> I watched it once and I was like, this is good, but is it realistic? Yeah, oh, of course. <laughs> and my of mom's course. like, well, uh, but it's it's still good. But I definitely see the, the merit and, oh, my goodness, the setting is, I mean, the yeah, that's fabulous. fabulous. Now, let me ask you, did you watch the first show ever? Did you watch series one, episode one? Yes. That you did? Okay. Well, mm-hmm. maybe it's not your thing. Cause I was like, that one will hook you. But- I'm, I'm very. I mean, you know, and honestly, I think that's when, um, especially if I've, you know, done fiction writing, I think that's something I have to fight because I am very realistic and I almost get too caught up in the well would this would they really have enough money or would that happen or the details you know and I think at some point you have to let the story carry itself yeah but there's a couple of things in that, that I felt were that way and I know I just have a reader write to me and she goes I love the writing desk but that whole projector being left in the room that just seems so unrealistic to me and I'm like well, that was the God part, you know, because so, I always kind of write a supernatural thing. But so in, the way my mind works is I think if God was preserving something, 
for me to do, what would it look like if it all manifested itself physically in front of me? And so that's what I kind of try to do with the supernatural elements is what if, you know, God was physically showing me beyond, beyond the veil or what if it was a breaking in right now and I could see what God was doing? What would it look like? You know, if I, so that's kind of. Yeah. Uh, and I, so, and I think that's a great way to, to again, like, you know, explore faith and, and truth from, from a different angle, you know, that we, right. we may not personally experience, but to, to have it told in that, in that way. Um, yeah, I think that, you know, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of your most recent characters too, you know, um, especially, is it Jess or Jesse, Chloe and Jesse? Okay. Yeah. I don't want to be calling them the wrong one, but, um, how they, I, you know, I think it's so cool that they were not from traditional faith backgrounds and it was kind of a new thing for them. And you, you don't just assume that everybody agrees and everybody gets it and, and it's okay if it's a, if faith in God is a little weird at first you know um but it he but he's there yeah oh totally if you're willing to look (laughs) yes absolutely absolutely that's great um well since it is february well it's not february right now but it will be when this comes out um we'll pretend it's february and you do christian fiction romance i was curious if you could tell us a little bit about your romance and how you met your husband. <laughs> how much time do you have? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you've got. <laughs> Whatever I got. Um, I moved to where I live in Central Florida after college. I graduated from Ohio State in '85, and then um, spent a year in Tallahassee with my parents. And just was finally got to a point where I said, "God, I got nothing. I don't know what you want me to do. I've tried to get jobs, nothing's opened up." You put me where you want me. That night, I got a phone call from a guy I used to go to junior college with. Hadn't talked to him in years. He said, hey, I got this job down here in Central Florida. Do you want to come? And I'm like, sure. And it involved travel, which, you know, I, I had wanderlust. I wanted to travel. And a month later, here I was. And I've been here 32 years. <laughs> and um, so anyway, I as I was learning the job and traveling, I was getting – back in the faith I was sort of in college pretty not a hardcore partier but pretty much lived the college shorty girl life mm-hmm. and I said you know okay I gotta get serious because God I'm yours and and so I was driving home one day from a church on the beach side and I drove past this church called New Covenant Fellowship and I knew in my heart I had to go there so I went the next Sunday and there he was a cute single singles and youth pastor <laughs> so that's how i met him i met him in the, in the church in the sanctuary that's so romantic <laughs> right oh and, my goodness yes well then the rest of the story is interesting we go on a date between trips i have a trip to california and connecticut and then i go to australia and in between that we managed to go on a date and i was like yeah he's okay <laughs> He's cute. He's got a beard. I'm not into beards, which today I know all the young women are like, what? I don't like beards. I don't like I beards either. <laughs> I wasn't into beards in 1986 or 7, whenever this was. And, um, and I go home, and I feel like the Lord is like, this is the guy. And I'm like, shut up. No way. I am not going to be the weird single girl who thinks she's going to marry the single pastor. Forget it. And so I just like, Lord, you just let it play out. And 
just a series of events, he felt like God was saying we were just supposed to be friends. And his initial interest in me changed from romantic to just friendship. And we walked like that for three years. And we became best friends. You know, through the course of time, we were very honest with each other about, I'm like, dude, I feel like that's what we're going to get married. And I keep telling him, no, change my mind. But I'm falling in love with him. And I'm like, this is so unfair, God. And he he's baffled on the other end going, I thought God told us to be friends. His mistake was he threw in the word just friends. Mm. <laughs> God said to be friends, and the feelings that I had for you initially aren't romantic feelings are gone, but, like, you're my best friend, and I always want to be with you. So we were very perplexed. Um, and so that That's that great that y'all were honest, period. though, and, I mean, able to yes. talk that out. Yeah. Well, we had to at one point because you could just see all the unexpectations on my part all the expectations, unfulfilled expectations on my part. Yeah. And he finally was like, tell me what you think God is saying. But we had enough respect for each other and our walk with the Lord that we trusted that we could hear, you know, and he was man enough to go, tell me what you think God's saying. And I was woman enough to hear what he thought God was saying. And we're like, huh, this is weird. <laughs> so we just hung out all the time. And uh, so then there came a point where the Lord just said to me, okay, Rachel, it's done you've run the race with endurance and it was so funny after he told me that the first sunday in church the pastor's ending his sermon and he goes and you've run the race with endurance and i was like what <laughs> so, that's I'm where you just kind of look straight up you know and go yeah, oh really i almost, <laughs> almost shot out of my chair well, say that again um, <laughs> and then again through a series of events seriously i should write a book about this he tony had this idea that on a certain day god was want to change his heart like he knew at this point that I was the one for him too but he just still did not have romantic feelings for me and he was like God I, I think it, I'll do it in faith but it would better be better for her I would like to have those feelings for her for her sake and the Lord was like don't worry and um, on this certain day I came home from the trip the day that he had in his mind that he felt like the Lord told him I know this sounds so freaky deak. I don't recommend this to anybody, by the way. So don't <laughs> use this path. Don't don't decide that God's speaking to you in this way unless it really is. Trust your heart. Trust your parents. Trust your counselors. Trust the Lord. But, you know, this is a unique journey. Yeah. And um, anyway, I get out of the car, and he turns around, and bam, he just almost instantly falls in love with me. So um, wow. we were engaged within a month and a half, and we were married about five months later. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) that is so sweet. What a special love story, you know? It is. And a God story, too, you know? It is a God story. How God, as open as we are with our hearts to him, he's right down to our emotional DNA. He actually, like, removed and, and, and gave back Tony's feelings. And I said to this kid right after he got married, I said, I was joking. And I said, well, God had to make Tony fall in love with me. And he goes, isn't that great? Because now he can never fall out. Mm. I was like, oh, I like that. That's good. <laughs> that is good. That's good. Now, let me let me ask you, do, looking back, do you see why or I guess see benefits why you had to go through that period of not knowing? Or do you not know? And that's okay. I, I don't have anything specific. I have a good estimation, a wise estimation. And one, it was to kind of like, I think we wired both of us on 
what it took to track someone of the opposite sex. Um, like, oh, I had to be beautiful, and he was like, oh, I had to be the pursuer or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and at the end of the day, it was really because there was no sexual tension between us, we just became best friends. Yeah. Like, it was cool to hang out together because nobody was creeping too close to the other one on his, their side of the couch. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't like we lost our way because we because of physical desire, which is natural. And you should have that, and that's a beautiful thing. <clears throat> but because that wasn't there, we, we, we were able to hang out together all the time. Mm. So, yeah. um, and I think for him, because he was an unbeliever and a frat boy in college, so you completely have to what kind of lifestyle he lived. Yeah. And so he needed to know, we both just needed that we can be with each other, and God was building that friendship. And then when, he took, when it was time to get married. And also, also when we got married, we didn't quit. We were already doing ministry together. I was already working with him in the youth. You know, we were doing various things together. And when we got married, we just kept, we hit the ground running. There was no like, oh, well, now we want to pause and just be cuddled up together. We you were already going. in it. <laughs> we were. We were already in it. Now, the downside of that is we never had that like, oh, we're in love high because it was like this guy I've been hanging around with for three years is now trying to kiss me. What's up, dude? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but at the same time, we never had the crashing down like, oh, well, now I'm, the honeymoon is over and I know what kind of guy, I mean, I knew everything about him as much as I could without living with him and he knew everything about me. So yeah. we we may not have had an extreme high, but we've never had an extreme low. We never crashed. Yeah. We just kept going. Oh. So. That, wow, that was just beautiful. Thank you for sharing. Well, thanks for asking. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Have you ever, um, like, written, I guess, an element of your story or part of that like, into a character? No, I no. think it's too weird. <laughs> <laughs> I had somebody ask me, and I said, the, the hard part about writing Christian fiction is not sounding like a geeky Christian. And what we, how you and I are talking right now feels so real and alive. You put that in a book in a character's mouth, and it just feels preachy uh-huh. it, it doesn't communicate the same and so what i try to do is try to communicate in a different way where a non-believer can read it and either god would touch them or not um or they'll get the spiritual journey or not i it's just it's really hard that it yeah to, to share who we are and what we do in a book in characters even though a character just can say exactly what i just said and it would just sound weird. Mm-hmm. So, and also, to be honest, all the youth girls who watched us go through this, who watched me go through it, there were a couple who thought, oh, that's what I want. I want God to tell me that's my husband. And I said, trust me, this is not what you want. <laughs> this was not always a pleasant journey, you know. I had to lean into him. And I had to lay it down every day. Mm-hmm. I had, you know, how I felt about him, what I thought God told me. Every day with surrender. And so I'm like, actually, you don't want this unless God has divinely graced you to do it. And so I would never want someone to read a book and go, oh, that's how you find your husband and God. It's not. It's not a cookie cutter. Right. Oh, that is that is true. It is not a cookie cutter. Well, as we're kind of nearing the end, can you tell us about your new book that's coming out in April? I just saw that the other day and got all excited. So I'd love to tease oh, that yay. for everybody. Sure. Um, it's called The Memory House, another split-time novel. So it's set yes. in Waco, Texas in 1953. 
mm-hmm. um, initially. And then it said, then I advanced into the 1960s. Um, and it said also in North Florida in the 1960s. And then the contemporary part is said in New York City and in North Florida in this place called Ferdinita Beach. So it's really, um, uh, oh gosh, I, should, I shouldn't be able to encapsulate this. It's about, <laughs> It's about the love, the journey of love and healing hearts and healing minds. So um, both of the women suffer tragedy. Um, the contemporary character, Beck, loses her father in 9-11. The mm-hmm. historical character, Everly, loses her husband, her father, and her in-laws in a tragic tornado that went through Waco in 1953. And both of them temporarily lose their memories of their loved ones. And so it's about how, you know, just God invades through the course of love it just begins to heal all of that. And love is the thing that draws us out of our fears. And it's just really their journey of, of healing and restoration. It's, um, it's pretty cool mm-hmm. what God does to heal both of them. And, and Beck is a hardened New York City cop, um, mm-hmm. gotten herself into some trouble. And Everly ends up, after she loses everything, living with her mother and living like a widow at the age of 23. Oh, wow. And and so when the story opens, she's like, she. I told somebody today, it's like, she's like Mary um, Hatch in Pottersville when she's coming out of the library. You know, mm. Clarence tells George she's about to close the library. <laughs> she comes out and she looks all dour and mm. you know old and matronly. That's really Everly when the story opens, but then love walks in and begins to challenge her, her yeah. boundaries. And it's it's really an exciting story of watching these women change when love enters the picture. Yeah. So Oh that that sounds exciting. <laughs> yeah. And that and comes out April second, is that right? Yeah, April second. So yeah, I think it was a hard story to kind of sew together, but I at the end of the day I really love um, how it turned out, and it has one of those scenes in it where I could have never planned it, but when I saw it open up, and I, I saw what I could do, and, you know, it's like, I'm riding along, and all of a sudden, I go, oh, wow, oh, that's, Ooh, yeah. you know, oh, oh, I don't want to say what it is, because it's just, <laughs> it's right. just I was, but for me, it was like, oh, full circle, so. So that wouldn't um, have I, been in your original outline or sketch? No, I mean, oh, never thought I love of it. that. How exciting. It's like, when you get in the weeds, you start seeing the bloom. Mm. So, I will say, if you read the book, look for the scene with Lou Jr. That's all I'm going to say, and okay. you'll know what I'm talking about. All right, everybody, that's mean. the clue. Look for the Lou scene with Lou Jr. Jr. Yeah, there's a couple with Lou Jr., but this particular one... It was really amazing, and I was like, oh, wow. It, it just it brought her situation from 1953 full circle into 1960. I think at that time it was 1961. Okay. So I says, yeah, I love when God does that, or when the, you know, the story just becomes something of its own. And I always joke about when you're in the weeds, you can't tell what you're doing. <laughs> like, the weeds are like, oh, my gosh, the story is horrible. How many times have we used the word door? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Yes. But there's when you find the blooms, and that's where all those little bloomy, fragrant things pop up. So that's that's an, an encouraging word, you know, yeah. to me as yes. a writer. That yeah, yeah. That's, yes, that's keep good. writing. 
Mm. I love oh. that you're writing at your age. I didn't feel like I had anything to say, so I'm so happy for you. I'll keep really? going. Oh, well, thank you. Well, you know, it's funny because I, I mean, I love to do a little bit of everything. I love acting, which is oh, really awesome. similar, I think, yes. to writing because you're you're becoming a character. And so yeah. I've done some ghost writing for other people, which I've, I've loved. And then, you know, I've done some stories just as a as myself, you know, a contemporary Christian person for relevant or whatever. But what I really have dancing around my head is a sitcom, which I know is, you know, I mean, far-fetched hard, but, but I enjoy, and I've had these characters, like I have carried them with me for two and a half, three years now. And I just, I love a good family comedy and anyway, but it's funny and I can, I I know what you mean where the, the characters could can surprise you, you know, yes. <laughs> like when they become no. that real, it's like they just, they just take on a life of their own and, Absolutely. and planning that out. So, yeah, I, I would love, I'm, I'm like on this one. So if anybody's listening out there, I would love for my book, Dining with Joy to be made into a sitcom because it just has so many elements. She has the, I don't know if you had a chance to read that one, but she's a I don't think I hostess. have. I've read Love Starts with L, but not Dining with Joy. Yeah. Okay. It's the next, it's the next low country book, but she is. A cooking show host who can't cook. So, boom, you've got a high-pitched concept right there. And then uh, her mom owns a, a body shop for cars. Ooh, so, she's okay. like this redneck-y woman. Love it. She she has yard wars with the neighbors. And so, she <laughs> mowed over the neighbors' prized flowers and replaced them with plastic. And they melted in the sun. It's hilarious. <laughs> and then they're taking care of her, niece, her nieces who are just... You know, one of them is just this wild because she's wounded, but but that's kind of where the familiar part comes in. The family comes in, and then of course the hero is this failed restaurateur who's come down to the low country to heal, and he's a he's Elle's husband, Heath's friend or cousin or something. And so, but a cooking show host who can't cook. So then every episode could be Joy, you know, trying to cook, and you could see behind the scenes. But then there's this whole story of why she's a cooking show host who can't cook. So I hear you. I I oh, blessings on your do you, sitcom. Do you think that would be a movie or a, like? Do you think it could go long term? I think it could go long term I, I, because it's very episodic. Yeah. Every every week you could. I have, love that idea. You could have her coming on like, all right, everybody, it's cooking with joy. Let's see this one. This week's stupid cooking trick. Yes. And you see somebody blowing. You see somebody blowing up their kitchen, and then you show her like, okay, I'm gonna cook. I don't know. There's a cook. There's a chef out of England. I think her name's like Jilla Lawson or something like that. Mm-hmm. When you watch her, you go, she can't cook. She <laughs> just looks good on camera. And so she goes, here I am, baking banana bread which is banana bread's the key thing in the dining with joy she's whipping it up and then the next thing you know she's pulling banana bread out of it i'm like i didn't see you make banana bread right yeah we just saw you stir well we just saw you stir i can do that a chimp can do that that it's so funny because and i promise i won't keep you forever um no go ahead but um the the second podcast you know i mentioned i had my mom well she is actually she wasn't a chef but she worked for southern living and um in the test kitchen yeah and so she was like a recipe developer and i guess recipe editor and then she would style food for photography all that to say yes yeah i know right coolest job in the world um she is 
amazing with food, with presentation. I mean, her, her cooking, it was just fabulous. And um, so every what does everyone assume? That me, the oldest daughter, would just inherit that. That I would be her sous chef. You know, that I would be excellent. Sure. No. It no. could not <laughs> be further. And what happened was, you know, I, I mean, honestly, I was usually reading a book or, you know, playing or something. And I never really cared about being in the kitchen. And then she was so good at it. If I tried to come in there, I was clumsy, you know. And she'd be like, you know what? It, it's fine. You, you can just go back to reading. I'll, I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> and so, you know, it's, it's so funny. And now that, you know, I'm living on my own in Nashville, I'm very much an experimental cook. You know, I just toss this in and try this spice and do this. And, I mean, it's, it's just about a comedy routine. So, yeah, I totally get the, you you feel like you should know what you're doing, but really have no clue. So, (laughs) well, this, this has just been so much fun. I really appreciate you taking the time. Of course. Well, thank you, Rachel. Thank you, Rachel. Talk to you later. Bye. Uh Bye. Wasn't that fun? I hope you had fun because I really enjoyed talking with her. You can find out more information at rachelhauk.com. That's R-A-C-H-E-L, the right, the biblical way to spell it. (laughs) H-A-U-C-K, so rachelhauk.com. Check out her books wherever books are sold. That's all I've got. I hope you have a great day, a great month, and I will see you again in March.